guys can be seated. This morning, um, I just wanted to welcome you this morning. My name is Michael Page. Uh, if it's your first time here this morning, I just want to welcome you. Uh, you're very welcome in this place. Uh, we, we love visitors. Uh, we love people that come in here for the first time. And our heart is that you would know um, that, that the Lord has has blessed uh, all churches, but that to come together to be able to worship God under his name, we have a unity that is that is supernatural in that realm. And so we love that you're here. Our heart is to connect you to a growing relationship with Jesus where we're growing together as one body into a direction that Jesus has given us through the Great Commission. And so this morning, um, if you're here for the first time, you've come on the last week of a series. Um, the last week is week nine um, of the series, and we're meeting on October the 9th, so I think that's a good... Okay, so um, we're meeting on October the 9th for week nine of Kingdom Culture. And so if you have your Bibles, we're going to turn to Colossians chapter 4. We're going to read um, the last section of Colossians as we've been going through this Kingdom Culture series. And so this Kingdom Culture series has been challenging us and challenging us and challenging us to evaluate our life if we're, to see if we're living for a kingdom that's ruled by Jesus and if we've, or if we've just added him to a list of things in our life where he's a compartment in many other compartments that we have, right? So Jesus, if you didn't know this, Jesus came to take over, not to, uh, not to occupy a compartment in your life, right? Can we, can we get an agreement on that? Jesus has come to, to rule and to reign in our hearts, to rule and to reign in our church, to, be our, to, to give us the motivation and the power and the energy to use our hands and our feet to declare his glories and his excellencies throughout the world, right? Starting where you live. And so this morning, um, the kind of the theme verse for this series has been Colossians chapter 1, verse 13. It'll be on the screen. This is kind of something we've read every week. It says, he's rescued us from the domain of darkness and transferred us into the kingdom of the Son he loves. So we've seen that Jesus, because of what he's done on the cross, has taken us from the domain of darkness where there's nothing but death and destruction, where, the, where Satan rules, and then he's transferred us into the kingdom of light, the kingdom of the Son that he loves, which is Jesus. And so what we see there is that if you say, hey, Michael, I'm a Christian, I follow Jesus, that means your life looks very different than the domain of darkness, right? If you're living for the kingdom of light and the kingdom of the sun that God loves, your life is going to look different than you, than you living in the domain of darkness, correct? There's a difference there. There's a difference. But so many churches around our country, what I see is there's, there's been not a lot of, you can't really tell who's a Christian and who's not sometimes because we get, so, we get so wound up in the culture that we're living in. We're trying to please everybody with all these things. And the last person on our list to please is Jesus a lot of times. And so this morning, I just want to kind of bring this to a conclusion because what we know, what we've seen Paul teach us throughout Colossians is that in Christ, we live under new laws. We live under new realities that we didn't live under before Christ, right? If you're in Christ, then there's a culture that should define your life. There's a culture that should guide your living and your, the way that you live your life at home with your spouse, the way that you spend your money, the way that you spend your time is different than the world does because of Christ living inside of you. And so that what happened was the Colossian church was being tempted to add these things to the gospel to live a very man-centric life where it was about them and not about Jesus anymore. They were focusing on gaining more knowledge so they could be puffed up. They were trying to experience all these new spiritual experiences so they can say, oh, I'm closer to God because I've done this or I've said this or I act like this. But Paul wrote this letter to them saying, we're reestablishing Jesus as central to the gospel because no amount of spiritual knowledge or wisdom or experiences is what is central to the gospel. The central... The centrality of the gospel is and always will be Jesus. 
Jesus is central to the gospel. And so last week we saw Paul begin his conclusion to Colossians, and he gave us some instructions on how we can use our relationships um, to proclaim the gospel in our everyday lives. Did anybody have problems at home after last week? We talked about submitting to your husbands and loving your wives. Everybody okay? All right, cool, cool, cool. Great, great. We have a bunch of Christians in here, so we're good to go. Cool. So I want to pray for us, and then we're going to jump into Colossians chapter 4. So God, we love you. We praise you, God. You are the only one that deserves honor, glory, praise, Lord, in all creation. Father, we praise you for that. We praise you for loving us like you do, Father. I pray that you would open the eyes of our hearts this morning to see you for who you truly are, God. You told us that you would be among us when we gather, God, when we sing your praises, when we, when we open the word to learn. You have promised your Holy Spirit would teach us all that we need to know this morning. I pray that you would do just that and that you would strengthen our faith. You would strengthen our unity, God, and you would put us on a path to maturity to see a healthy church moving in a healthy direction to build healthy kingdom culture in our communities, Father, and in our world. God, bless the, the reading of the word this morning. God, just hide the, hide the preacher behind the cross this morning. God, may you increase, may I decrease. God, may you receive glory from everything that's said and done in this room. In Jesus' name, amen. So in this last section of Colossians chapter 4, Paul is going to give us his final instructions to the church in Colossae. So if you had to give your last wishes or your final instructions to your children or your husband or your wife, you're, you would listen to those words, right? If, if my dad was on his dying breath, he said, son, I have my last words I want to give you. My ears would be attuned to what he was saying, right? Because those are very important words, right? The last words are always important words. So Paul is going to sum up some things here. What we're going to see um, specifically in verses 7 through 18 is this overarching thing that we're going to look at today that, that God builds his church using normal, ordinary people. Aren't you happy about that? Okay, good. I know I am because I'm pretty ordinary, right? God uses ordinary people, everyday normal people to build his church like it says in scripture. He's done this from the beginning, on the screen, you'll see in Acts chapter 8, you can write this down and look at it later, um, Acts chapter 8, verses 1 and verse 4, it says, on that day, a severe persecution broke out. This is when Stephen was stoned, okay? A great persecution broke out against the church in Jerusalem, and all except the apostles were scattered throughout the land of Judea and Samaria. And then verse 4 says, and so those who were scattered went on their way preaching the word. And so my question is, who are those? Who are those people? Who are those? Like, what is it, who does it say that was responsible for spreading the gospel and building the church? Those, right? Those, they, those people. It doesn't give like a name of, of Paul, Peter, John, James. It wasn't the, it wasn't the apostles stayed in Jerusalem, but those people began to build the church, make disciples, spread the gospel, and they were everyday ordinary people. And so the one thing that set these ordinary people apart was what? Faithfulness. Their faithfulness to share the gospel to, to build the church, to see God's kingdom built here on earth. These everyday, ordinary people were scattered because of persecution, but they weren't so focused on persecution. They weren't missing Jerusalem. They were focused on building God's kingdom wherever they went. Let me tell you about this Jesus. Let me tell you about Jesus. Let me tell you about the love that, that Jesus has given me in my life. Let me tell you about the sin that he saved me from. Let me tell you about how he rose from the dead to save me from death. And so what it says is that ordinary people like you and me will make an extraordinary impact in the world if we would commit our lives to being faithful to the word of God and to the spirit of God's leading. Listen, that's huge, man. And somehow, listen, as you read this, somehow the gospel has made it from the Middle East and Turkey to here. Like, how did that happen? Like, 
How did that happen, right? That, that happened as ordinary Christians lived out their faith faithfully. It wasn't like, oh, I'm going to gather with the church whenever it's convenient. I'm going to do this when it's convenient. I'm going to make disciples when I have time. I'm going I'm to do all these things whenever it makes, time, makes sense in my life. No, they were sacrificing to make sure that the Great Commission was being fulfilled in their life. Guys, we're here today at 309 Main Street because followers of Christ throughout history were faithful, right? And we're called to be faithful also because what I know as I read the Bible is that the history of our faith is the history of nameless people who've made a powerful gospel impact in their world, right? Are you with me on this? Okay, cool, cool, cool. All right, cool. We need, we need some. I, I, I'm a participatory preacher. I need some. Yeah. yeah, okay, cool, cool. Talking back and forth. It's a conversation. So what this passage is going to show you this morning is Paul is going to list out 10 people at the very end of this passage today. And at first glance, if you look at this, you can read right past these names and not give it much thought. Who's ever read, who's ever, when they're doing their 412 reading plan or their reading plans, during, who's ever skipped past the final remarks from people in the epistles? Oh, these are a bunch of names. I don't, I don't know. Right? A few of us, right? We're just like, these aren't important. But today we're going to dig into these some, right? We're going to show you why these are important. Because every word in the Bible is God-breathing, useful for teaching, rebuking, right? Encouraging. And we're going to learn that today as we look at these. And so if we'll pause and dig in here, there's a lot here. And so this, pa- this passage also is going to show us that Paul wasn't a lone wolf. There's no such thing as lone wolf Christianity. There's no such thing as, oh, I like, the, I like, Christian, I like Jesus, but I don't like the church. There's no, there's no such thing as that. There's no such thing as rogue Christianity in the Bible. You don't read that in the Bible anywhere. He's, he didn't, Paul didn't carry out the Great Commission alone. He carried people with him to go and to reach the nations. And Paul, what he did is you look in the epistles, you look in Acts, he traveled with friends. He worked alongside of friends. He sang in prisons with his friends. He prayed with his friends. He was persecuted with them. He, uh, they, uh, he was supported and he was encouraged by them. And it's so important. And let me just tell you this morning that we need gospel friendships. We agree with that. We need gospel friendships. This is why unity and maturity in the body is so important. Unity and maturity in the body. Nothing will kill a church faster than immature Christians trying to live into a mature box. And my heart today is that we will be unified and humble enough to say where we might need to mature more and maybe ask for help and maybe pray in that endeavor. Um, you know, we need faithful followers of Jesus who are committed to being unified around the mission of God. Man, as I read Colossians, like throughout this book that we've read so far, we've, we've seen this theme of, of faithfulness. And this is where I want us to focus today. Paul opened this letter in Colossians 1, in verse 2, it said, in his opening remarks, he said, to the saints in Christ at Colossae, who are what? Faithful brothers and sisters, grace to you and peace from God our Father. And so as he ends this book, he's going to list out 10 more people in most every single one that he lists, Tychicus, Onesimus, Aristarchus, Mark, Justus, Epaphras, Luke, Nympha, Demas, Arapicus, both all 10 of those people, he's going to list as faithful or useful to the church. And that's beautiful. Like, you see this faithfulness, this faithfulness, this faithfulness. And he's going to end with this theme. So let's read together verse 2 to 18, and then we're going to dissect it some. Is that cool? Yeah. Cool. So, verse 2, it says, Devote yourselves to prayer. Devote means to be persistent, to not give up. Devote yourselves to prayer. Stay alert. Circle devote, circle stay alert. Stay alert in, in, in it with thanksgiving. At the same time, pray also for us that God may open a door to us for the word 
to speak the mystery of Christ. The mystery of Christ is what he's already said this in, in the earlier chapters is, is Christ in you, the hope of glory. Remember that? That's the gospel. For which I am in chains, so that I may make it known as I should. Basically, taking the gospel where it's not clearly. Verse 5, act wisely towards outsiders, making the most of the time. Um, this little phrase may be spoken differently depending on what translation you're reading. Making the most of the time, it, the, the Greek literally means buying up the opportunity. Buying up the opportunity. We'll, we'll dissect that a little bit later, but think Black Friday. I'm going to, I need to get these opportunities while they're here, right? It's like, a, it's like make the most of the opportunities that God makes before you. He brings someone to share the gospel to, go after it. That's what it means. Make the most of your time. Let your speech always be gracious, seasoned with salt, so that you may know how you should answer each person. Verse 7, Tychicus, our dearly loved brother, faithful minister, circle faithful, underline faithful, however you do this. I'm not sure what you got in your, in your, uh, in your hands. And he's a fellow servant in the Lord. He will tell you all the news about me. I have sent him to you for this very purpose so that you may know how we are and so that he may encourage your hearts. He is coming with Onesimus, a faithful and dearly loved brother, who is one of you. He, he was from Colossae. They will tell you about everything here. Aristarchus, my fellow prisoner, he's in prison with Paul, obviously, sends you greetings, as does Mark, Barnabas's cousin, concerning whom you have received instructions. If he alone, um, excuse me, if he comes to you, welcome him. And so does Jesus, who is called Justice. These alone of the circumcised are my co-workers for the kingdom of God, and they have been a comfort to me. Epaphras, this is, Epaphras was the church planner in Colossae. He's the one that brought the letters to Colossae and to Ephesus. He's the church, he's the pastor in this, in this region. Who is one of you? He's from Colossae, a servant of Christ Jesus, sends you greetings. Listen to this next part. He is always wrestling for you in his prayers. A question this morning we're going to talk about is how many times have we wrestled for anything in our prayers? Right? But that's a question we need to ask this morning. He's doing this so that you can stand mature and fully assured in everything God wills. So he's wrestling in his prayers so that the church will be mature and unified. That's hard, man. For I testify about him that he works hard for you, for those in Laodicea and for those in Hierapolis. Luke, the dear, dearly loved physician, and Demas sends you greetings. Give my greetings to the brothers and sisters in Laodicea and to Nympha and to the church in her home. After this letter has been read at your gathering, have it read also in the church of Laodiceans. And see that you also read the letter from Laodicea. And tell Archippus, pay attention to the ministry you have received from the Lord so that you can accomplish it. I, Paul, am writing this greeting with my own hand. Remember my chains. Grace be with you. So the reason why he says I'm writing this in my own hand because Paul had a seal that he would seal each letter because there were many phonies that were being sent out and tried to distort the gospel. So Paul was saying, this is me. I'm writing this letter in my own hand. And so we can outline this, pa this passage in three parts. So followers of Jesus, as we read Paul laying this out, should be faithful in three areas. The first area is they should be faithful in prayer. The second is they should be faithful in their witness and then faithful in their service. And so those are going to be the three things that we're focusing on this morning. So, so can we agree that that's the case? As a follower of Jesus, you should be faithful in prayer for the church, faithful in your witness to share the gospel with those God gives you opportunity with, and faithful in your service to Jesus and to the church, right? And so when I look at faithful in prayer, verses 2 to 4, what I see is it says be devoted to prayer. That means to be persistent and passionate, right? 
Would anybody, you don't have to raise your hand, but would anybody describe their prayer life as persistent and passionate in this room, right? Maybe, maybe not. Maybe we need to work on that this morning. It says, be faithful in your witness. That's verse five through six. The Colossians witness, it says, make the most of your time. What that means is to use your life to expand God's kingdom. That, that points to gospel living, gospel focus. And what we say here a lot is that whatever you're good at, if you have a job or Where's if you... I, let me just turn Siri off. She tries to butt in here sometimes. So, um, so if whatever you do, if you have a job or if you have a talent or if you, whatever you do in your life as a, for a living, do it well for the glory of God, right? Colossians 3.23 but also do it somewhere strategic for the mission of God, right? So we want to do it well for the glory of God, and then we want to do it strategic somewhere for the mission of God because we believe our lives are supposed to be lived on mission. And so the last thing we're going to look at is faithful service. He says he closes this chapter out by showing us these faithful followers of Christ and his church members that he's sending out as leaders into the world to, to, to share the gospel, to encourage the church, to build up the church. And so that's what we're going to look at today. So the first thing we're going to look at is faithful in prayer. So let's look at the first two verses again that we read. It says, devote yourselves to prayer. Stay alert in it with thanksgiving. At the same time, pray also for us that God may open a door to us for the word to, to speak the mystery of Christ, which I am in chains so that I may make it known as I should. So what you see here, verses 2 to 4, is going to point us is going to point to our prayer life. And verses 5 through 6 are going to point to our public life, right? So the fire of our prayer life, our fire of our prayer closet should ignite the fire of our public life for Jesus, right? That's our heart as we look at this. This whole section is about how we as kingdom citizens, remember, if you're a follower of Christ, you're no longer living for the domain of darkness, you're living for the kingdom of light. That means there's fruit in your life that points to Jesus. And if there's no fruit, you need to ask the question, am I saved? And we'll get that right today if you're not. So hold on a minute. So what it means is this whole section is about how we as kingdom citizens take people to God in prayer, but also we take God to people in evangelism. You see that? This whole section is about that. And so one thing is going to be crystal clear as we read this is that it's God's will that we pray to him. You may, you may show you the, the facts around this. Like, you know, how do you grow in your walk with the Lord? You pray and you read the word and you exercise your gifts, right? How, for, for those in this room, how, is it a, who's, whose life is it a struggle to pray? Four of us? Okay, y'all got some hardcore Christians in here. <laughs> y'all lying. Uh, do we have a struggle to be in the word consistently, right? The enemy is after those two things in your life because he knows if he can take those two things away, he can, he can cause you to be an ineffective Christian. And so as you do this, my heart is that we would be understanding that it is God's will that we pray, that we would devote ourselves to pray. Because in the church, man, in the Western church, we get it mixed up. Like prayer doesn't fuel the ministry. Prayer is the ministry. Right? Prayer doesn't fuel, uh, God, help us have a good service today. Help us have a good worship today. Help us do it. That's not, that's not the way the Bible instructs us to pray. Prayer f is the ministry that we have in the church. And as, I, and as I look at this, he says, being devoted to prayer means that you aren't chaotic or forgetful, right? You can't say that you're devoted to prayer if you constantly forget to pray, right? 
And my heart today is that we would see that, that we would understand that. It's, it, it, it means that we take steps to make it central in our life, just like eating or sleeping are central. How many of y'all are forgetting a meal before, right? Not many of us. I know I don't. I know when it's lunchtime or breakfast time or dinner time, my wife says, you love to eat, don't you? I say, yes, I do. The Bible says to eat and have time. Anyway, whatever. Another sermon, another day. So a commitment to prayer, though, without a commitment to obedience is delusional. If you're coming to God in prayer and you haven't committed to, to be obedient to whatever he calls you to do in your prayer time, you're delusional. Delusional in the dictionary is related to a, a mental, mental a lack of mental health. And I was like, wow. Listen, if I'm coming to God committed to pray, but I'm not coming to God committed to be obedient to what he's calling me to do, I'm delusional. You're, I'm wasting my time. I'm wasting my breath. My heart will be, God, yes, now tell me what you would like me to do. Yes, now tell me what to do, Father. That's, that's the posture of our prayer. Yes, now tell me what to do. It's a waste of time to do it any other way. Prayer, pray, pray, and, you know, prayer is not about us. Prayer changes us. Like we're called to pray. And let me tell you, a, pray, a prayerless Christian makes no biblical sense. Yeah. It makes no sense. You know, we're called to pray. Paul even gives us application. We're going to look at three types of prayer. The first one is persistent prayer. Paul says, be persistent in prayer. The Bible calls us to pray without ceasing in 1 Thessalonians, which means it's integrated into every moment of our life. In Luke 18, Jesus gives us a parable of the persistent widow. She comes before the magistrate saying, I need you to do this. I need you to do this. Knock it on the door. Knock it on the door. Knock it on the door. It's like, okay, woman, you can have whatever you want because you will not leave me alone. And he, he relates that back to prayer. Come before God, before God, before God. Ask, 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 pray, pray, pray. Come before him with thanksgiving. Come before him with your questions and your struggles. He's a big God with big shoulders. Come before him again and again like the persistent widow. If you look in Acts, you can see the early church. They were devoted to prayer. While they were in prison, they were praying. When they got out of prison, they were praying. Whenever Paul was released, they, got, they, they prayed. Whenever all these things were happening, they were praying, 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 praying that God would be more glorified, that they would have more boldness to share the gospel, they would have more openness to be able to, to get into places where the gospel was not. They were very missional. So prayer is not a spiritual luxury. Prayer is essential for spiritual growth. Hear that. Prayer is not a spiritual luxury that, oh, I can talk to God. Yeah, that's, that's right. But prayer is, is, is required as an essential for spiritual growth. Prayer is as vital to our spiritual health as breathing is to our physical health. Can I just say that this morning? Like, there's a lot of people in here that are struggling to breathe because we don't know how to pray. This morning, we need to get on our faces and pray before God. It should, it should be continual, not casual. Does this mean you're praying in the, in the, in the, in the produce aisle at Walmart? Maybe. Does this mean you're praying while you're talking? Yeah, maybe. This means a constant fellowship with our Lord. And I love having that heart posture that is leaning into God. Because I think if you're honest, you would agree that too many of us pray only occasionally whenever we feel like praying or when there's a crisis. Is anybody ever guilty? But only we, our, our prayer life will increase when there's a crisis. A few of us, yeah, five or six of us, I'm included in that number. The reason why Paul says be persistent in prayer is because it's in the persistence of our praying 
that God aligns and prepares our hearts for his answers. Do you see that? That persistence of praying. Who wants to hear from God in prayer? All of us. All of us. I'm assuming that some of you are just shy. All of us want to hear from God in prayer. I want to pray and hear from God. If you're a Christian in this room, that's a fact. You want that. I'm not sure if you know that, but you want that, okay? Yeah. Right? So the, the, the reason why he says be persistent, be persistent, go back, go back, go back to the prayer closet, go back to the prayer closet is because it's in that persistence that God starts to change our hearts because prayer is not about you changing God's mind. Prayer is about God changing your heart and aligning it with his heart. Okay, that's the beauty of what we're looking at here. So be persistent. The second thing we look at, it says to be watchful. It says stay alert in it. It says be persistent, be devoted to it, but stay alert in it. So be watchful in prayer. It says stay alert, stay awake. Don't pray with your head in the sand. Know what's going on. Because let me tell you, if your prayer life, and you're, if, you're, if you pray the same prayers and phrases, each time you come before God, you're not being watchful or alert. Paul is saying that a Christian should be watchful against spiritual apathy. I'm just like, whatever. I mean, I'm going to church, whatever. I'm, I got connect group, whatever. I'm just, just whatever. There's no whatever in, in the Bible when it comes to following God. I was, I was at the beach this weekend with my kids and my wife. We, we, everybody else was going away for fall break. If you're on fall break watching, I hope you're having a good time. Um, but everybody was away for fall break this week. So I was like, I need to go somewhere for fall break because I have FOMO, right? I need to do something too. So I, so I, went, I went to the beach with my family, right? And so I was standing there yesterday morning on the beach. It was just, the sun had just risen. The sun was shining across the water. It was blaring in my eyes. And I'm like, man, like I just told Savannah, I was like, how many times do I take the sun for granted? Like the sun is a billion miles away and it still blinds me as I look at it. That's amazing. So how many times do I take God for granted? These tides are going and coming, and I just look right past it, right? And I look right past it. Be watchful in your prayers. Never be spiritually apathetic. Because what happens, the reason why you get spiritually apathetic is because the world just wears you out. Who's ever felt like the world just wears you out? Life just wears you out. You just hit one thing, and then, then comes another thing, and then comes another thing, and then comes another thing. Can I just tell you, the things aren't going to stop coming. Okay? The things are going to continue to come until you're in the ground. That, that's life. But we have a Savior that is for us, not against us, that wants to see us rise above those things. Yeah. Guys, let me tell you, you're in a battle. And I want to tell you, I'm not sure if anybody has been in the military in this room. In a battle, if you lack watchfulness, you'll get killed. Right? In a, if you lack the watchfulness, you're going to die. Just, Jesus used this phrase in Mark chapter 14, verse 38. He said, stay awake and pray. He says, stay awake and pray. Well, why? So that you won't enter into temptation. The spirit is willing, but the flesh is weak. How many of us can relate to that? The spirit is willing. I want to do these things, Romans 7, but I do the things I hate. I hate the things I do, right? The spirit is willing, but the flesh is weak. Let me tell you, there's no power in dull, apathetic praying. Like real praying demands a spiritual energy and alertness. And this can come only from the Holy Spirit because routine prayers that just kind of have no watchfulness. I'm just, I'm going through the motions. Uh, those are prayers that don't change our hearts. We have to lean into these things. And so we're going to be persistent in prayer. We're going to be watchful in prayer. And lastly, we're going to be missional in our prayers, right? Missional prayers. You see verse three to four. What does it say? At the same time, pray also for us that God may, be, may open a door for us that the word to speak the mystery of Christ for which I am in chains so that I may make it known as I should. P 
please don't miss the absolute necessity of prayer. Please do not miss the absolute necessity of prayer in the spread of the gospel. Paul pleads for prayer from ordinary Christians. He's pleading from people 100 miles away. Pray for us in Rome that the gospel may move out from this prison cell into the city. Right? How many of us have prayed that way before? Are we just praying for our own little circles? Like Paul's pleading. He's praying for an open door. Um, there's a quote by Samuel Zwimmer. He, he's a missionary overseas, and he says the, the history of missions is the history of answered prayer. The history of missions is the history of answered prayer. Guys, we prayed for a people group this morning that are 0.0% Christian. They have no gospel, no Christian, no church. A lot of people in that people group can look around, and even if they wanted to choose Jesus, they have no opportunity to choose Jesus. Are we praying to that end to see a door open? There are hearts that are bolted shut, countries that are bolted shut. There are 3.2 billion people in the world that have never heard the name of Jesus. Does that affect us in the heart? Pray for an open door. Pray for our church to be a sending church. Pray for gospel opportunities in our neighborhoods. Pray for our gatherings. Guys, we, we've had four people that have expressed, two couples in our church that said, hey, hey I'm open to going. That's awesome. Isn't that cool? Yeah. Like we have a church of 150 people and we have two couples that said, hey, if, if, we'll, if you'll send us, we'll go to the nations. And we're working on doing that. It's going to be a process. But y'all pray for us. Pray that God would give us wisdom to send these people well. Paul says, pray for the mystery of Christ to be proclaimed clearly. He says, God's plan for the salvation of the nations is for the gospel to go out of the church. He, sa he says, pray for gospel clarity in our preaching. Well, why? Because clarity matters, right? Eternity hangs in the balance of you presenting a clear gospel message, right? Example, Philip meets the Ethiopian on the old desert road. What happens? He says, do you understand what you're reading? The Ethiopian eunuch says, well, how can I understand unless someone explains it to me? So God was at work here, you know? What was he reading? He was reading Isaiah 53. What a softball pitch. It wasn't Leviticus 14, right? <laughs> he said, let's start with right where you're at. So he gives him a softball pitch. Pray for an open door. So when Paul pleads to the Colossians, he says, pray for us also that God may open the door and for the word. And so what I take Paul meaning here, the, con the, the background of his words, I take him to mean that when Christians like you and I pray, God changes circumstances and attitudes and the receptivity of the word so that instead of hitting a brick wall, the word finds an open door and becomes supernaturally effective. There's power in prayer. I can't wait till these four couples are on the mission field and we're hearing reports about these things. We're praying for them and we hear about people becoming Christians in a people group that never heard the name of Jesus. Yeah, amen. That's what the church is about. And that's our end goal. We have a vision statement at our church that reads, God has called us to make disciples and plant churches among the nations starting in Savannah, Georgia. A little self-inventory. Like, how many of y'all knew that? <laughs> if, you're, if you're heart and soul, you should have known that. Um, how many times have you prayed for the gospel to be clear as we preach each Sunday? How many times have you prayed for an open door for our church to be able to send missionaries among the unreached? How many times have you prayed for our leadership to be able to teach effectively and lead well? How many times have uh, you done that? So my question this morning is, will you? Will you commit today to pray for open doors for our church? Will you commit to come together unified as one body, one family, to pray specifically for our church's role in reaching the nations, reaching our communities? Right? 
Too often we pray vague prayers, Lord, help the missionaries. Lord, help these people do this and that. It would, how much better would it be for us to be very specific? God, help us to reach a people group that has never been reached for the gospel. Give us the opportunity, the pathway to get to these people groups. And then what, what we can do is we can celebrate those steps that God opens the door. Then when you start seeing, you start living, then you start understanding God's real. And he's leading us in a way that's real. Because it's fear and it's lack of faith that keeps us from praying specifically for doors to be open. Because what happens when you start praying for doors to the nations to be open is God might call you to the nations and you know it and you're scared of it. <laughs> you know what I mean? I'm, I know because I, I am that person, right? It's a scary prayer. God, open the door for the nations. Send our church. What if God says, I'm going to send you? <clears throat> let's uh, let's ret- retract that, right? That's scary prayers. Scary prayers. Second, uh, the second thing is faithful in witness. So we're going to be faithful in prayer. Faithful in our witness is the second thing. What you see is in verse 5 to 6, act wisely towards the outsiders, making the most of your time. Let your speech always be gracious. Season with salt so that you may know how you should answer each person. So Paul is speaking of outsiders. What he means is this refers to people who are outside the church, non-believers, people who don't know Christ. Who in this room, I need everybody to participate. Who knows an outsider? Wow, we all know outsiders in this room. We all know people who don't know Jesus, right? The Bible says be wise towards outsiders. Be gracious in your speech. Make the most of the time. There are tons of outsiders living around you. We're going to start another Who's Your One campaign in November. Who's the one person that God's put in your life that God calls you to share the gospel with, to bring into the kingdom, to disciple? Let me tell you, many churches today have become so inward-focused that we've forgotten that being missional is what makes us a church. God created the church for the mission, not the mission for the church, right? We were created to carry out the mission of God, right? Without the mission as central to our being, we're wasting our time here. We're just gathering and hanging out. We're we're glorifying God by singing praises and reading the word. But if we're not missional outside these walls, we're we're missing it. A church off mission a church who doesn't make disciples or engage the lost or send missionaries to the unreached, it makes zero biblical sense as I read the Bible. We agree with that. I mean, as I read the Bible, that's what I see. Because the church exists to make God known, right? To, to exist to know God. We're called to know God and then make God known. And making the most of our time, buying up that opportunity. Remember, we talked about this being a commercial term, just as a, a person seizes a bargain on Black Friday when he, when he finds it. Or, so a Christian is to seize the opportunity to win a soul to Christ, right? How many of y'all are just as passionate about evangelism than you are Black Friday? Some of y'all are like, I ain't doing all that. <laughs> you, you ain't going to find me nowhere at 3 o'clock in the morning on, on Black Friday. I'm just going to tell you right now. So every day... We have the opportunity to create gospel influence. Every day you wake up, if you have breath today when you leave here, you have the opportunity to create gospel influence. God has placed you in someone's life to be a gospel witness. Do you know that this morning? If you're not a Christian, this doesn't make much sense to you, but we're going to get there. God has placed you in someone's life, but what's happened is the question is, have we become so me-focused that we ran past these moments trying to get ours, the things that we deserve, things that we want in life. Because in our relationship with outsiders, what Paul is saying, he says, let your speech always be gracious so that you may know how to answer each person. Just like Jesus, our hearts, our words, and our mouths should be full of grace. In Psalms 45 verse 2, it it was a messianic psalm. It says grace flows from your lips. 
It's talking about Jesus. Grace flows from your lips. Grace, grace, grace. 1 Peter 3.15, Peter says, In your hearts regard Christ as the Lord is holy. Be ready at any time to give an offense to anyone who asks you for a reason for the hope that is in you. Are we fearful of these moments? Are we looking for these moments? Are we buying up those opportunities? Because I'll tell you this morning from experience, what I know is that our, our walk and our talk should be in harmony with each other. How we live and how we talk should be working together. Because nothing silences your witness like a careless life. Nothing silences your witness like a careless life. When, when character and conduct and conversation are all working together, it gives you a powerful witness towards outsiders. Do you see that? Is everybody awake this morning? Yeah. Okay, I put you to sleep. Okay, good. Being a faithful witness means you're living missionally. You're not just coming to church and connect group. It means you're living missionally. And there's some easy ways to be missional. Be creative in creating opportunities with outsiders. Eat with non-believers. If you know somebody in your neighborhood that doesn't know Jesus, hey, come over to the house. Let's, have, let's grill some steaks. Let's hang out. Form relationships. Create influence. Share Jesus, right? Be a regular. This was one of the best things that somebody gave me advice on when I started to plant a church. Be a regular. Find a local coffee shop and go there every day. And I did that. And you know how many relationships I found? I might have met some of y'all in these places, right? So be a regular. Form relationships. Share the gospel. Go to the same restaurant weekly. Day, not daily. That's probably too expensive. <laughs> some of y'all are on a budget, right? So start hobbies with a non-Christian. There's people in this room that love to play disc golf or go to play golf or love to watch football or love to work on cars or do these things. Find a non-believer and, and teach them the craft that you're doing and create a gospel relationship. Talk to your coworkers. Some of y'all are like, I'm just trying to get out of there at five o'clock. I ain't trying to talk to my coworkers, right? Talk to somebody at your work, form a relationship with them that you know doesn't know Christ. Form a relationship with them where they begin to trust you. You invite them to church. You invite them into a relationship with Jesus. This one's very easy. Some of y'all don't like to exercise, but walk around your neighborhood. You might, you might say, hey, Michael, I live out in the middle of nowhere. That's fine. You got somebody that lives within a mile at least of your house. Uh, maybe. I don't know. Walk around your neighborhood and just meet people, right? Meet people regularly. Understand there's a relationship there because missionally minded Christians understand the power of connecting relationally in their community through personal networking. When that happens, you start seeing gospel relationships. So if we're going to impact our world in the name of Jesus, it will be because ordinary people like you and me took God at his word and began to engage people with the gospel. That has to be the way we live. God has never stopped calling for a movement of little Jesuses to follow him in the world and unleash the power of the gospel that lies within us. Right? My question for you is, will you be a part of that? Or will you settle for a safe life, a safe church, a church you could just come to as, as a building and not be a part of as a people? So the last thing as we get ready to close is number three is a faithful servant. Faithful in service. So you're faithful in prayer. You're faithful in your witness. You're faithful in service. Verse 7 to 18, we're going to dissect this a little bit. But what I know about us, and I hope you know, I'm certain that Jesus will return one day. I know that with all my heart because I've, I've read about it and I, I've just been confirmed in my spirit. I know that Jesus will return one day. That's the assurance that I have as a kingdom citizen. 
And when you enter into this new kingdom, you begin to live in a new direction. When our king returns, let me tell you this, I know this. When our king, if you're a follower of Jesus, when your king returns, the only thing left will be what was done for the kingdom of God. I don't care how much money you make, how many houses you have, how many cars you have, how many kids you have. I don't care what you've done in this life. The only thing that will be left is what was done for the kingdom of God. Kingdom work is the only thing that you can put your time into that will last forever. Isn't that crazy? Think about Kingdom work is the only thing that you'll be able to do in life that will last forever. C.T. Studd, a missionary in China, he says, only one life will soon be passed. Only what's done for Christ will last. That, the, that poem is, is a whole page. You should go check it out. C.T. Studd, it's, it's a beautiful poem. I sent it to my wife last night. It will challenge you and your living missionally in this world. Only one life will soon be passed. Only what's done for Christ will last. Remember we said a moment ago, whatever you're good at, do it well for the glory of God. And then do it somewhere strategic for the mission of God. Remember that? And here we see Paul's ministry team modeling how we're called to serve Jesus in the movement of his church. The text shows us the power of the gospels is how these relationships are, 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 are established. Onesimus, he was a runaway slave. He was, run, he was running away from, from, from Philemon. Philemon was a, a rich businessman that lived in Colossae. Uh, Onesimus ran to Rome. Guess what? He met Paul, became a Christian. Now Paul's going to send him back to Philemon. You need to make up, but don't receive him as a slave. Receive him as a brother in Christ. Isn't that cool? Jewish believers were in the same room with Gentile believers. Sin had fractured relationships with some people, but reconciliation was happening. You see this gospel-centered relationships because what happens is the gospel creates supernatural relationships for the purpose of gospel movement. If you're in this church today, you know that relationships are hard because we're 10 out of 10 people in this room are sinful. You have a sinful nature. You may have the Holy Spirit, but the, Holy, the sinful nature is always at odds with your, right? your heart, the heart for Jesus. And 10 out of 10 people in this room are also selfish. We struggle with getting what we want, doing what we want to do. That makes it hard sometimes. Our heart is that we would be humble, mature followers of Jesus who are about seeing his name made great. Tychicus, you see the first verse 7 to 9 or 10. You see Tychicus and Onesimus. Look how Paul describes Tychicus, a, a dearly loved brother. What does it say? A faithful minister and fellow servant. A faithful minister and fellow servant. Notice this, he was so close to Paul that Paul could say, he'll tell you all about me. Paul doesn't write all this thing. L listen to what Tychicus says. He's going to tell you everything about me. Everything that's happened, everything in my heart, he's going to give it to you because he knows me better than anybody else in, in this world. He's, he's mentioned in Ephesians and 2 Timothy and Titus. He delivers the letters to Colossians and to the Ephesians. And his task was to share updates about Paul and, and bring encouragement to, the, to Colossians. But the question is in verse 8. It says, I've sent him for, you for this purpose so that you may know how we are and so that you may be encouraged in your hearts. But Paul was in prison. How is that an encouragement? It sounds like I want to run from this, right? I don't want to be in prison. His concern for them was the encouragement. God's purpose will encourage them. The gospel being spread through suffering will encourage them. This goes back to Colossians 1 where the gospel spreads through suffering. This was part of God's plan for the spread of the gospel. What God is doing around the world will encourage the church to be faithful witnesses because God was on the move. 
Have we given everything to follow Jesus? Onesimus, like I said a moment ago, he was a runaway slave. He became a Christian as he met Paul and God's sovereignty, and he even helped Paul while he was in prison. What I love about this is a whole entire book of the Bible, Philemon, was written about the relationship between Philemon and Onesimus, and it's put in the Bible. That's crazy. I love that. The beauty of that rest, restorative grace. Then you see Aristarchus in verse 10 and 11, Mark and Justice. These were Jewish believers working with Gentile believers. If you know anything about the culture, it was like black and white, oil and water. It was like a difference of opinions and culture. There was a hardness there. It, says, it seems that Aristarchus was in prison with Paul and he would not be free to travel, but he was from Thessalonica. had been arrested in the riot in Ephesus in Acts 19. He had, he had been through a ton with Paul, shipwrecks, beatings, all these things. And that's the type of friends you need. If a brother or a sister can go through some beatings and some shipwrecks and some gospel sufferings with you, those are the people that are going to be in your life for the long haul. Those are the people that you want by your side when you're making disciples, sharing your faith. He was committed to the mission of God. Nothing's going to keep him from that. Mark, Mark's probably the most encouraging one in this whole story. He was a restored servant to Paul. He wrote the gospel that bears his name. He knew a good bit about, we know a lot about Mark. His mother hosted the church meetings in Jerusalem in Acts. On his second missionary journey, Paul wanted to revisit some of the cities and Barnabas wanted to take Mark along, but Paul didn't let him because Mark had deserted them earlier in Pamphylia, returning to Jerusalem because he couldn't hack it, right? But because of this dispute, Barnabas took Paul, Mark this way and Paul went with Silas this way. But look right here. There had been reconciliation. In verse 11, it says, in 2 Timothy 4, 11, it says, pick up Mark and bring him with you for he is very useful to me. Guys, this gives me hope for failure in our life. Guys, I have failed to the point of my life where if I told you all my failures, you wouldn't want me to be your pastor. But what I love about the gospel is that failure is not final because of the restorative grace of Jesus. I don't care where you've been in life, what you've done, who you've done it with, there's restoration available in Christ. The enemy wants you to stay stuck in shame because of failure. Maybe you failed morally or relationally or in ministry. It doesn't define you. God's not mad at you. That's the enemy's lies. It doesn't mean that Christ is finished with you or has written you off. Just ask Mark. He wrote a book of the Bible. What a great recovery. Right? He wrote a book of the Bible, like justice. His name was Jesus also. That's how Mark to live up to. A faithful kingdom worker. We know nothing about this guy other than he's labeled as a faithful worker in the church. And that's enough to be known for for me. These have been a good comfort to me. My question for you today is, have we been faithful? Epaphras, the church planner, he's always wrestling for you in prayer. Agonizing, that's exhausting. He works hard for you. Have you, been, have you ever been exhausted in prayer for the church lately? Or you just come here on Sundays to get your fix and go home? Have you been exhausted that we would have an open door for ministry to go out of here? Have you been exhausted in prayer that the unity and the maturity of our church would be recognizable across the world because the gospel could go places where it's not? Notice the goal of his ministry, the maturity and fully assured. That's my prayer for this church is that we would be mature and unified. Remember, they had so many weird cults in Colossae. And Epaphras was the pastor, and he was trying to get these people firm in their faith, in their sufficiency of Christ. And you don't have to be a pastor to pour out your heart in intercession. Look at Luke and Demas. 
Luke traveled with Paul many times. He was a physician, a, a writer, a, a Gentile friend. He remained devoted to Christ, the church, and to Paul. And he says, only Luke is with me in 2 Timothy 4 because Demas had eventually deserted Paul. Guys, Christians leaving a church and coming back or Christians leaving their faith and coming back or Christians leaving the faith and never coming back. Guys, that is a reality even today, even in our church. Even in our church, there's a deep sadness when people leave or when they leave their faith or they turn away from Jesus and go their own way. There's a deep sadness that comes over the church. There's a cost of discipleship that's too great for Demas. The world's attractions were more important to him. He had the teaching of Paul, the companionship of Paul, but he deserted Paul. Some people in this room are like, if I had Paul in my life, I could follow Jesus more closely, right? Demas is an example. It doesn't matter who's in your life. If, you're, if your heart's not for Jesus, you're not gonna do that. As we close today, I just wanna show you, like, as we look at Paul, he says, I'm writing this with my own hand. He adds, remember his chains, it's a note of encouragement to all who suffer for the faith. It's not to pity Paul, but a way of showing support to the faithful. He's saying, don't be ashamed to suffer for the gospel. This morning, I, I, faithfulness, faithfulness is the word that I'm praying that you take away from here this morning, because Paul is calling us to be faithful in prayer, faithful in our witness, and faithful in our service through the work of the church. A question for you, a question for me is, where does God challenge you to go deeper? Where's God challenging you to go deeper? This is the last week of this series. And throughout this series, we've been asking the question, are we living under the authority of our King Jesus? Are we living in a kingdom culture? Or are we living in a safe American life where sacrifice is rare and comfort is normal? My heart for this church is that we would sacrifice everything for the sake of the gospel. My heart is that we would sacrifice everything for the gospel, to see disciples made here and the gospel to go to places where it's not. Has something been holding you back? What's keeping you from living for the kingdom? Our final day, our faithfulness will be, our faithfulness will be rewarded by our obedience, our obedience to the Great Commission. And most of us in here don't need to learn something new to begin. Maybe it's just walking in obedience to what God's already revealed to you right? Maybe you have some next steps that you've been ignoring. I don't know where you're at today, but what I know is I read Colossians. God is calling us to be faithful followers of Jesus in a brand new kingdom. What I love about the gospel is that I didn't deserve it, but Jesus still gave it. <laughs> what I love about Jesus is that he saw my sin, he knew my sin, and he still died for my sin. What I love about Jesus, what I love about the gospel is that I don't have to clean myself up, say the right things, say the right prayers, read them how many verses I need. It's not about the works that I can do, but it's about what Jesus has done for me. This morning, I don't know if you've been running from Jesus. I'm not sure if you've allowed sin to, to lie to you and say that there's no hope for you. I don't know if you've just been kind of winging it the whole time that you've been living and just praying, just let God just help this be true. I'm not sure if you have an assurance of yourself. I'm not sure where a lot of you are at this morning, but I do want to offer you an opportunity to come into a relationship with Jesus because it is not about a religion that we follow. It's a relationship that we're in. And so this morning, if you've never said, hey, Jesus is my Lord, Jesus is my Savior, I've given up my life so that I can follow him.
If you've never done that, and there's many people in this room, just by sheer percentages, there are people in this room that have never done that. I want to offer you the opportunity to say yes to Jesus this morning. So if you just will bow your heads as we pray. If you know this morning that, you know, you've heard the gospel, you know that, that because of what Jesus has done on the cross, that your sins can be forgiven, that you don't have to live in this oppression anymore that the enemy tries to place on you, but that you can be free in Christ because of what Jesus has done on the cross, because you've been set free from the power of sin and shame in Christ. But without Christ, that is not true. And so this morning, if you want to come into a relationship with Jesus and you know, hey, Michael, I've lived a rough life. I've been a sinner. I have a lot of secrets that I've kept from a lot of people. I'm not sure if I can do this. I want to tell you something right now, that Jesus can see every square inch of your life, every square inch of your heart, every square inch of your, of your deeds that you've done in this life, and he still loves you anyway. So this morning, if you know, hey, Michael, I need to turn my life over to Jesus, not to live better, but to, to, to just to be with him and let him have his way in my life. If that's you this morning, you know that Jesus, God made Jesus to be sin on our behalf so that we could become the righteousness of God. If that's you this morning, you say, hey, Michael, I, I just, I, I need Jesus. I need to be saved this morning. If that's you, would you just do something bold and lift your hands so we can pray with you and, and celebrate with you? Is that you this morning, that you need Jesus to come into your life and to save you from your sins? so that you live free in him. Is that anybody? Amen. Is there anybody else? Is there anybody else? I want to pray for you. As I pray, um, we're going to sing one more song together. And I pray that we would be able to come to this altar. We're going to sit at your seat and allow God to, to, to encourage us and to give us a heart to be faithful, faithful in our witness, faithful in our prayer, persistent in our prayer, and faithful in our service. So God, we love you, we praise you, we thank you this morning for all that you are and all that you've done. I thank you for our sister who has come into the kingdom this morning. God, we praise you anytime someone is saved. God, we thank you for uh, a, a new sister in our faith. Father, I pray this morning that you would just walk with her. God, that you would just lead her and guide her. I pray for this church. God, I know there's people in this room that may be far from you. I pray that you would draw them near. God, may we be a church that honors you first and foremost in all of our life. God, may we be a church that is about your kingdom and about your business and about your mission. God, move anything out the way, Father, that is in our way. God, if, 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 if more of you means less of us, God, Lord, take it all. Take everything we have. We honor you. We adore you. We worship you in Jesus' name. Amen.